All right, good morning, good morning. Come on, y'all give yourselves a hand clap for being here today. Hallelujah. We're in uh, week five of our series entitled Foundations. And uh, man, we're so excited for you guys to tune in with us online. Thank you for tuning in with us. All of the notes are available on our app, so you can follow along. You can go back and look um, at the notes from the previous uh, four messages. Also, you can go back and listen uh, to those messages as well, as well on the app or on our Facebook page. But again, we'd like to welcome you here to church this morning. Man, this weather has been crazy. It seems like half the week you have the heater on, and then the last few days you turn the air on. You don't, the weather can't make up its mind, but hey, we made it here today anyway. Amen. Amen. And this week, in week five, uh, I want to share with you, we actually talked about this a little bit last week. But it was such a big foundational piece that I felt like I was going to share something else. But I was like, nah, I felt the Lord saying, no, you need to make this a pillar as a foundational piece. So today we're talking about holiness. Y'all say holiness. So that is today's uh, topic, the fifth uh, foundational pillar for every believer, that as you walk with the Lord, you're going to need holiness. Because the word says, without holiness, no man shall see the Lord. And today we're going to deep dive into holiness. Like I said, I know I mentioned it a little bit last week. And last week we talked about holiness in the uh, terms of boundaries. But we're going to go a little bit deeper in holiness today. But before we get started, let's just open up in a word of prayer and then we'll get started. We thank you, Holy Spirit, for your sweet presence. We thank you for the moment of communion that we had today where we can reflect on the life and the sacrifice of Jesus that he bore on the cross for our sins, that we can be made holy, that we can be made right, and we can be in right standing and right relationship with him. And I thank you that as the word goes forth today, that you open up our hearts to receive from you and to hear clearly what the spirit would have to say in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So holiness, y'all say holiness one more time. Holiness. holiness. We're talking about holiness today. And the first verse I want to read to you, I'm going to read several verses as we go through this. But the first verse that I want to share is actually from our readings earlier this week. And it came from 1 John chapter 3, starting in verse 2. 1 John chapter 3, uh, chapter 3, verse 2, it says, Dear friends, we already know God, we are, dear friends, we are already God's children, but he has not yet shown us what we will be like when Christ appears. But we know that we will be like him, for we will see him as he really is. Amen. And all who, who have this eager expectation will keep themselves what? Pure, just as he is pure. Everyone who is sinning is breaking God's law, for all sin is contrary to the law of God. Verse 5 says, and you know that Jesus came to take away our sins, and there is no sin in him. Anyone who continues to live in him will not sin. That's a good verse. Anyone who continues to live in him will not sin. But anyone who keeps on sinning does not know him or understand who he is. But anyone who keeps on sinning does not know him or understand who he is. That's not Pastor Mario's version. That's not my words. That is the word of God. It says if we continue to live for him and pursue him, guess what? We will not live in sin. 
But if we keep living in sin, it shows that we do not know him or understand who he is because God's nature is holy. He's blameless. He's without fault. He's without sin. He's the spotless lamb. But we know that we were born into our sin nature. And the more that we continue to follow and to pursue the Lord, the more that we should pursue what? Holiness. The more that we should pursue, I want to become more like Jesus. How do you become more like Jesus? Pursuing holiness. So today, that's what we're going to talk about, pursuing holiness. But before we get into pursuing holiness, we're going to talk about some grizzly bears. That's a term for you. Didn't know he was going to talk about grizzly bears. But I remember growing up, one of my favorite movies, this is an old movie called The Night of the Grizzly. How many of y'all have ever heard of that movie? One person, two people. Some of you online, I hope you've heard of The Night of the Grizzly. It was one of my absolute favorite movies growing up as a kid. It's an old black and white movie. And pretty much the basis of the story is this. There's this grizzly bear that terrorizes this community. But more specifically, he terrorizes this one farmer. He goes in, and this grizzly is mean. He eats all his animals and take, and destroys everything that's going on. And then he decides, I've had about enough of this. His wife is like, we should just leave and go and move somewhere else. But he's like, no, this is my land. I pay for this land. I've raised these animals. I'm not going anywhere. So he goes out into the woods, and he sets up camp. And he says, I'm going to trap this grizzly, and I'm going to kill him. And he goes out. And this grizzly is mean, and he ends up shooting it, and he keeps coming after him. And finally, he gets the grizzly at the end of the movie, and everybody lives happily ever after. And it's a great movie. You can go back and watch it if you want to. I don't, it might be hard to find now because it's so old, but it's a good movie, The Night of the Grizzlies. But this is something interesting that I learned about grizzly bears. There were this, um, he was a researcher. He lived in Alaska for more than two decades, just researching uh, grizzly bears. And on this particular uh, island in Alaska, it was 1,500 grizzly, ba grizzly bears that lived there. And he studied them, he lived with them, which is crazy in itself that why would in the world would you want to live with grizzly bears? These things are weigh over 1,000 pounds. They're some of the most vicious and gruesome animals that there is, but he, he did. He studied grizzly bears and he did all this scientific data on them and all this types of stuff. And then one day, he was a park ranger as well. And so he's a park ranger of this area. And then one day, he got a call, and he was saying, hey, we're getting reports that there is one aggressive grizzly down there. You might want to go take a look at it. So the guy, he went down there with his gun, and he also brought his understudy with him. It was a guy that he was training to be a park ranger as well. So they went down to the area where they... Um, heard that the grizzly bear was, the, 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 the uh, aggressive grizzly. So they went there, and sure enough, when they get there, they spot him, and they see him. And the grizzly, immediately as he sees them, he begins to stalk them. And they can see his red eyes turning towards them. And the park ranger, he tells the trainee, okay, you get behind me. I, he's going to charge us. And as soon as the grizzly starts to charge him, the man shoots him, but by the time he tries to reload his gun again, guess what? The grizzly is on top of him, and the grizzly begins to maul this man and tear him limb for limb, and the, 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 uh, his trainee, 
he, what he did was they tell you that grizzly bears are so big they can't climb trees. Now, down here in the south, we don't have grizzlies. We have black bears. Black bears can climb trees pretty fast. So if they try to come after you, don't try to climb a tree. They'll come in and get you. But grizzly bears, they're so big, they're so heavy, they can't climb trees. So the, the trainee, he climbed the tree, and he said he had to listen as he heard the grizzly bear maul and tear his uh, mentor limb for limb and just listen to him die. And he was like, it was the most excruciating thing that he has ever had to witness. And he, the, the trainee, eventually he came down from the tree and he went back and he says, I feel like I have to finish the job. So about a year into training, he went back out there to go find that grizzly bear. And he went out there and he found him and he killed him. And the thing about grizzly bears that scientists say is that one in every 25 grizzly bears attack. So out of one in every 25 encounters you have with a grizzly bear, they will attack you. But they said, this is interesting, which I couldn't believe, but they said grizzly bears uh, within themselves are not naturally aggressive. So they're not naturally aggressive. So if you happen to stumble upon one, they, if they say you're supposed to make yourself big and scream, hey, bear, and make yourself loud, and they'll probably just go the other way. Or they said if you're in a group of people, you get together as close as you can in the group, and you begin to just make as much noise as you can to make yourself big, and usually the grizzly bear just walk away. Or climb a tree, because they can't climb a tree. And you just get out of the way and say, you know what, I'm going to climb a tree. I'm not about to say no hey bear. And you can't outrun them, because they will outrun you. And so those are things that they say to do. But one in every 25 grizzly bears attack. But the interesting thing about this is that it says this. It says, once you encounter that 25th bear, it doesn't matter how if you can make yourself big and say, hey, bear, or you can get in a group. It doesn't matter. That grizzly is coming for you, and he will attack you. Now, the only thing is you don't know which number bear you're going to encounter. You know, you might have an encounter with a grizzly. It might be number three. It could be number 10. It could be encounter number 14. It could be encounter number 17 or number 23. Or it could be encounter number 25. But the thing is, you don't know what number you are when you encounter that grizzly bear. And you know, that is a lot like sin. Sin is the same way as that grizzly bear. You can keep playing with it. You can keep messing with it. But you don't know which number it is that is eventually is going to take you out. You could be, oh, I, I just did this, and I got away with it. I'm okay. Oh, you, you don't know what number you are. Look at the life of Samson. Samson, you can't play with sin. Samson, to me, that story is always is frustrating to me because I'm like, this lady is telling you, she's telling you, you told, what's your strength? Tell me your strength. Oh, if you do this, then I'll lose my strength. The very next day, the Philistines come in and try to, and, and try to capture you. You break free. And you destroy them. But something would have clicked in my mind and say, well, if I just told her this, and she had to feel it, man, this lady trying to set me up. But what did Samson do? He kept going back and laying his head on her lap and letting her low him to sleep until eventually the sin caught up with him. He caught up with grizzly bear number 25. And that's what happens with sin. Sin does not play fair. Sin will let you think you can get away with it and that it's fun. But as soon as some point or another, guess what? You're going to run into grizzly bear at number 25. You can't allow sin. You can't play with sin. 
You have to be ruthless with sin. That's why you cannot play with it. That's why it says that if you continue to pursue the Lord, then it says you would stop sinning. But if you, if you keep on sinning, it shows that you do not know the Lord or understand who he is. So that's why holiness is so important when it comes to fighting. You can't just say, oh, I'm going to stop sinning. No, it doesn't work like that. You have to pursue holiness. The only way for you to get in the place where you say, you know what, sin no longer has control over me, you have to begin to pursue holiness. And in Matthew chapter 7, verse 13 through 14, it says, you can enter God's kingdom only through the narrow gate. The highway to hell is broad, and its gate is wide for many who choose that way. But the gateway to life is very narrow, and the road is difficult, and only a few ever find it. That is one of the verses that always scares the bejeebas out of me. I mean, that verse always, it says the, the road is broad. But the, the pathway to holiness is what? It's very narrow. And only a few ever find it. Why do few only find it? Because only a few actually pursue holiness. When you begin to pursue holiness, guess what? You're on the path to the narrow gate. But if you don't pursue holiness, guess what? You're on the broad way that many are on. There's a verse of Proverbs that says there's a way before a man that seems right, but it ends in death. How many people are on that path? They think, oh, I'm living for God. I'm, 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 I'm sold out Christian. But guess what? You're on the broad path. You're not on the narrow path. The highway to holiness, and we're going to read this verse in a second, It's narrow. It's a narrow gate. Isaiah 35, 8. And a great road will go through that once des deserted land. It will be named the highway of holiness. Evil-minded people will never travel on it, and it will only be for those who walk in God's ways. Fools will never walk there. The Bible calls it, it says fools will never walk there. So fools will what? Never walk the highway of holiness. Because why? I want to have fun. I want to live my life. I want to do what I want to do. Life is too short. YOLO, you only live once. Do what, just do what you want. Do whatever makes you feel happy. Broadway. That's the Broadway. Do whatever makes you feel happy. Well, I just feel like this is what I, I feel like I should be doing. Broadway. The narrow way is pursuing Jesus. The narrow way is pursuing holiness. And it says only a few find it. That should be a good warning for you right there that says, you know what? Am I on the narrow way? Am I on the narrow gate? They say, oh, Christians, y'all so narrow-minded. Thank you. I'm glad I'm narrow-minded because it says narrow is the way and only a few shall find it. But you ever notice that people that are so open-minded that they're open to everything? Why is that? Because that's the broad way. That's the way the enemy wants. The enemy wants you to be open to everything so you can find the broad way. But the narrow way says, oh, that, that, it's too many rules and regulations. It's not rules and regulations. When I follow Lord, with, when I follow Jesus with all of my heart, I don't feel like these are rules and regulations. I do it out of the, the obligation and the longing of my heart that wants to be pleasing to him. And when he points things out of my heart, guess what? It's easy to let those things go because I want to be pleasing to him and I want to be pure and I want to follow the highway of holiness. So I don't look at it like, oh, Christian, you can't do this. You can't have fun. Broadway. That's a Broadway perspective. 
Oh, you just, you, they want you to do all these things. You, you can't have fun. You got to go to church every day of the week. Who says that? That sounds like a Broadway mentality saying, I don't want to, I don't want to, it's too much. It don't take all that, Broadway. That's a Broadway mentality. So today we're going to talk about three things that you need to walk the highway of holiness. Three things that you need to walk the highway of holiness. The first thing that you need to walk the highway of holiness, you can write this down if you're taking notes, is this, is pursuit. Pursuit of what? Pursuit of Jesus. Pursuit of God. Pursuit of him. In order to walk the highway of holiness, you have to pursue. There's no way around it. You can't go and say, I'm going to be holy without pursuing it. You have to pursue it. In order to walk the highway of holiness, you must pursue two things, God's presence and God's will. In your pursuit, you have to pursue God's presence and God's will because his presence humbles and softens your heart. When you get in God's presence, you, it, it just does, it humbles you. You could come in with all, a million things on your mind and, and all the problems in the world, but then you begin to sing songs and, 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 and declare your love and your appreciation and your thanks, thanks for him and all that he's done. And guess what it begins to do? It begins to humble you. It begins to soften your heart. But if you never pursue his presence, you never have a humble heart. Your heart will never be softened to the things of God if you don't pursue his presence. His presence is key uh, to forming a relationship with him. And also, pursuing his presence breaks religion. You know, some people, they love the Lord and they are saved, but they never pursue his presence. And when you are saved, but you don't pursue God's presence, what it does is it makes you religious. It makes you like the Pharisees. It makes you put religious demands on other people and even on yourself. And there's, it's very legalistic. It's very strict. It's very, very judgmental. And it doesn't lift the heavy burden because there's no presence to soften your heart. It just judges and say, well, you wrong. You should be doing this. How could you do that? No, 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 no. What is that? That's religion. There's no presence. It's easy to find out people that are saved that have no presence because usually they're very negative. They're very negative when, they, when there's no presence of God, everything is always negative. But a person that's always in the presence of God, guess what? They always have an expectation that God is going to come through and do what he said he's going to do. Why? Because their hearts have been softened in his presence and they say, God, I rely on you. God, I trust you. God, I may not see it now, but guess what? I know you're going to work it out for my good because you love me and I'm your child. What is that? That's a person that's been in God's presence. Only God's presence can do that. But if you hadn't been pursuing God's presence, you'll never have that perspective. It'll always be, nothing ever works out for me. Every time I take one step forward, I take two steps back. You need to get in God's presence. You need to let God refresh your heart. You need to let God, God move on your heart and soften your heart. Your relationship with God, you need memories in his presence for survival. Because times do get hard. And you need to go back to those moments where you know specifically, I know God touched me in this moment and I could go back to it. And you can look at that and find encouragement to say, I remember when God spoke to me in that moment. And boy, moments like that could cause you, they could carry you for years. One moment in his presence can carry you for years. But the thing is, if you've never had those experiences in his presence, you have nothing to draw from. If you've never had those memorable experiences in God's presence, 
you'd have nothing to draw from when things get difficult. But when times get tough, boy, I'm telling you, there's so, and I'm not going to do it because I could be here all day. There's so many moments I can go back in my time, in my relationship with the Lord, in his presence, where he spoke to me, where he touched me, where he healed me, where he did something in my heart that I could go back to and I could draw from to this day and find strength and find encouragement because I spent time in his presence. And when difficulties come and the enemy tries to lie to me and say, God doesn't care about you. Yes, he does, because I remember when he spoke to me in his presence in that moment. And I could go back there, and guess what? It carries me through whatever it is that I'm walking through. But if you've never experienced him in his presence, you don't have anything to draw from. And you say, God's not real. God doesn't speak. God doesn't care about me. What is that? Because you've never experienced him in his presence. That's why it's so important. You have to get in God's presence. It's hard to stay the course of salvation through God without his presence. You can't, it's going to be almost impossible to stay the course in your salvation experience with God without his presence. Because at some point, your heart's going to get hard and soft. You're going to get mad at God because things didn't work out the way that you thought they should. Your heart becomes hard and you run away from him. And, and eventually you begin to despise his presence. Because you're like, well, every time I come in his presence, he don't ever speak to me. So why should I even bother? What is that? A hard heart. But the more you get in his presence... And the more you open up to him and the more you're vulnerable to him, guess what? It softens your heart. And guess what? He begins to speak quickly. It doesn't even take, sometimes, you know, it could take a long time. The only time it takes a long time to get in God's presence if you're not truly focused on him and you focus on everything else. But boy, those are those moments where you're desperate for God's presence and you're like, God, I need a touch from you. God, it's been a rough day. This, is, this has been a tough season. I need a touch from you. And all, sometimes all you have to do is lift your hands and say, God, I need you. Bam. His presence hits you, and that's all you need. It's easy. But you have to pursue his presence to get there. Presence, his presence, God's presence, it stimulates sanctification. His presence stimulates sanctification. Why does it do that? It's through the blood of Jesus that we are redeemed. And the more that I indulge in his presence, my soul is cleansed and the stains of sin begin to wash away. The more I get in his presence, guess what? He begins to work on my character. He begins to work on my my heart. And what does that do? That works on my sanctification. That makes me become more like him. That makes me become like we read in the first verse in verse John. It makes me pure because he is pure. What is that? That's working on my sanctification in his presence. You can't get in God's presence with junk in your heart and him not point it out. Because he's going to say, hey, I know you're here worshiping me, but give me that attitude. That perspective you have right there, that's wrong. I need that. And what is that? That's working on your sanctification. He's trying to make you more like him because there's so much more that he wants to show you, but he can't show you unless you pursue holiness and sanctification. Because if not, your character won't be able to hold what he has for you in the future. Sanctification. We have to pursue sanctification. We need his presence for our own sanctification. And trying to follow God without his presence, it makes you self-righteous. And self-righteousness is equal as filthy rags in his presence. It's no good. God is not looking for a self-righteous person. He's looking for a person that's dependent upon him. And the only way that you can become dependent upon him is longing for his presence. 
God is constantly looking for people that say, God, I need your presence. Because when he sees a person hungering for his presence, guess what he's going to do? He's going to touch them. He's going to feel them because they're hungry for his presence. So we have to pursue God's presence, and we also have to pursue God's will. We need both. We need to pursue his presence, and we need to pursue his will. You watching online, we got to pursue his presence, and we have to pursue his will. Right now, this is God's will for you. It's simple obedience. What is God's will? Sometimes we make God's will super complicated. Oh, I just want to be in God's will. I just want God's will for my life. Okay, I'll tell you what it is. Obedience. What is God speaking to you right now? That's his will. Whatever God is speaking to you right now, that is his will for you. It's obedience. Because in his obedience or in you submitting to what he's telling you to do right now, that is the key that unlocks your future. But if you can't be obedient to what he's speaking right now, he can't show you the access to your future because you're not being obedient to what's going to get you there. Your future is locked up in your obedience to what God is speaking right now. And the thing about that is it doesn't change. If God speaks something today and you delay on it and say, you know what, I don't think that's for me. Okay, you can keep moving on, but guess what? It doesn't change. He's just waiting on you to say, well, my will for you is not going to change. So until you submit to my will, you could just keep going around the mountain. We could could come back. We could revisit this in a year if that's how long you want to wait. But guess what? It's not going to change. I need you to submit to this right here. I need you to be obedient to this word right now. So we have to ask ourselves in our pursuit of God, what is God speaking to us right now? Because usually what God is speaking to us right now is not what we really want. Why do people stop pursuing God? Because God starts messing with them and telling them what he wants them to be obedient in. That's too hard. Oh, God, you want me to give that up? God, I got to stop doing that. Oh, oh, this is too hard. It shouldn't take all this to be, it shouldn't take all this to follow God. But all he's trying to do is draw you closer to him. That's all he's trying to do. He's trying to move, remove all the barriers so that he, you can fully give yourself to him and he can fully give himself to you. But if you're not obedient to his word, guess what? He can't do that. So what is God speaking to you right now? That is the key that will unlock your future. And if you have been disobedient to it, good news is you got a chance to turn it around and be obedient. And guess what? Now you're back on track. You don't have to beat yourself up. Oh, I've been disobedient to God. That's okay. Repent of it and be obedient. Now you're back on track. Just Is it that simple? It's that simple. You could get right back on track. That's the good news. You could get right back on track by one simple word of being obedient to what he spoke. That's the great thing about God. There's safety, there's protection, there's provision in being obedient to his word. If you feel like I have no protection, I have no peace, I have no provision, I have no future, that's probably because you're not being obedient to what he's saying. But I promise you, if you're obedient to what God is speaking right now, you'll have everything that you need because he will provide everything that you need for the journey. But you have to be obedient to what he's speaking right now. Most people are looking far ahead. I'm looking for the future of, of, oh, I know God's going to do my, you know, people always, oh, God's going to do awesome things in my future. He's got great, yes, he does. But what is he speaking right now? Because if you're not obedient to what he's speaking right now, you're not going to get to the future. 
It's always going to be, oh, God's going to do great things. Yeah, but when are the great things going to happen? It's when you become obedient to when he speaks when right now. So we have to pursue God's presence, and we have to pursue God's will. And what is God's will? Be obedient to what he's speaking right now. His right now. God's will for your life is for you to live holy. That's the will for life. First Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 3. It says, for God's will is for you to be holy. I mean, it don't get more clear than that. What's God's will? For you to be holy. That's God's will for your life. For what are we talked about today? Holiness. The pursuit of holiness. The highway of holiness. God's will. I don't know what God's will is for my life. It's just, I just can't figure it out. Be holy. Pursue holiness. Then what? Then he'll, he'll figure everything out once he cleans you up and you pursue holiness. But what is his will? For you to be holy. So stay away from all sexual sin. That, 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 and that's a big one. Because sin is always there to trip you up and to keep you from being what? Holy. I love how he followed it up. God's will for you is for you to be holy, so stay away from all sexual sin. Just a little key right here, just to help you out. My will for you to be holy, stay away from all sexual sin. I'm going to just throw that in there for you, just to help you out if you're ever struggling. Throw that in there for free. But why do we offer one-hour prayer on Wednesday, Wednesday nights? It's for two reasons. For you to get in God's presence and for you to hear God's will. Because God is always speaking in his presence. And if you can get in his presence, he's going to speak to you, his will. So that's why, oh, y'all pray every Wednesday? Yes. Why? Because we need his presence and we need his will. We need to hear what is he saying right now. I'm glad what you spoke last week, God. I need something new today. I need something new right now. His mercies are new each and every day. His word is new each and every day. His revelation is new each and every day. So, God, I need a right now word for today. I need a rhema word for today. Thank you for what you gave me yesterday, but today is a new day. I need a new word today. So how do you do that? In his presence. Wednesdays is a great time to get in his presence and hear his voice for his will. So the first thing that you need to do in pursuing the highway of holiness, you need to pursue. Pursue God's will, pursue his presence. Second thing that you need in the highway of, of holiness is this, accountability and openness. Accountability and openness. Uh, Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verse 9, it says, Two people are better than one, for they can help each other succeed. If one person falls, the other can reach out and help. But someone who falls alone is in real trouble. Likewise, two people lying close together can keep each other warm. But how can one be warm alone? A person standing alone can be attacked and defeated, but two can stand back to back and conquer. Three are even better, for a triple braided cord is not easily broken. So that, that verse, I know there was a lot that we read. What is it saying? Is you need people in your life. You need people in your life to hold you accountable and that you can be open to because that is the key also in the pursuing holiness. Because what the enemy wants you to do is to keep you bound up in your shame of your sin. Because if he can keep you bound in the same shame of your sin, guess what you'll never do? You'll never be accountable to anybody and you'll never open up. Because that shame will always, you can't tell them that, they're going to look at you funny. Oh, you can't tell them that, they're just not going to understand. 
you know, they didn't grow up like you, so they don't understand your background and how you were raised, so you just might as well just keep it to yourself because they're not going to understand. Well, I don't need to understand. Sin is sin. We all need a Savior, so it doesn't matter what you do. We need a Savior. All of us do. And some people feel like they let the enemy lie to them their whole life. You can't open up to people because you can't trust people. Life is showing you when you open up, people just disappoint you. You tell me one place you can go that people don't disappoint you. I don't like church people always disappoint you, and I'm sorry that it happened to you. That's not an excuse not to open up and be accountable to other people. Didn't it happen in your family? You're going to break away from your family? You're going to stop working at, the, at every uh, job you have because people turn their back on you? So you're going to stop working and earning a living because people are not trustworthy? So, so where, where, where does, you see what I'm saying? Where does the line stop? The enemy, tries, he knows how to play all those tricks. You can't open up to them people. They, they just want to share your, they say they're going to pray for you, but they really just going to gossip and tell everybody. And if they do, God will deal with them. But guess what? I'm trying to get free. And the one, this is the, the one thing. You could be battling something that could seem so difficult. But once you open up to someone to be accountable with it, it's like the weight just lift off your shoulders. Why? Because you've, allowed, you've, you've exposed the enemy and said, hey, this is a place that the enemy has uh, an open door and control over me. I'm just confessing this to you. I want to be accountable and open to you because I need to be free. And guess what happened instantly? Freedom comes. But shame will tell you, hold it to yourself. They're not going to understand. They're going to they gonna judge you. They're going to look at you funny. Every time you come in the room, they're going to look at you with the side. Oh, look, you know what they're dealing with. That, that, that's, not, that's the enemy. Sounds like the Broadway. But when you're pursuing holiness, you say, I need people in my life that I can trust, that I could be accountable to, and that I could be open with. And that's not everybody. Now, the problem with openness is this. Some people are open to everything. They open to too many things. Oh, I'm open to all religions because all paths lead to God. No, that, 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 that's not what the Bible I read is that there's one true God. You got to follow the narrow road. The narrow, it's a narrow gate, not a broad gate. It's a narrow gate. So that means I have to say, if I'm being open, what am I opening up myself to? Some people, they open up themselves to everything. And I'm telling you right now, I don't open up my, when it comes to the spiritual things, I don't open up myself to a lot of people. The main people that I open up to are my pastors. Tomorrow now, our pastors, Pastor Jonathan Stockstill and Wayne Brown. We open ourselves up to our pastors. Hey, we're dealing with it. Hey, I've been, lately, I've just been discouraged. I just want to share that with you. Guess what? I can instantly find encouragement from them. I just, I'm just, I don't know what to do. This situation, I don't know what to do. What should I do? And I can follow their example, and I can be open and transparent with them. And guess what? I can find healing there. I can find wisdom there I, because I'm opening up to the right people. Just, and, you know, some people walk through stuff, and they say, oh, oh, but I talk to people about it. But who did you talk to? Such and such gave me some good advice. Was it really good advice, or was it just something you wanted to hear that make you feel good? You know, people know how to tell you things that make you feel good because they really want you to self-sabotage yourself. I've been thinking about doing this. Oh, girl, you should do it because you know you, know you got to have your fun. You only live once. You might as well just go ahead and do it, girl. Worst decision you can ever make in your life. Opening up to the wrong people 
thinking that they're your friends. There was a situation that I saw, I think it was in Mexico somewhere, some girl went on vacation with her friends and then they beat her to death and just left her there. And just thinking that they're her friends, going on vacations, and then the one that's supposed to be a best friend was filming the whole thing while she's crying out for help. Be careful who you open yourself up to. Some people, they open up themselves to the wrong thing. There's a lot of preachers. There's a lot of things you could go online and listen to. Be careful who you open up yourself to. Be careful who voices you allow to speak into your life, especially when it comes to spiritual things. I was listening, not even listening to, I just saw a clip that someone posted of a pastor, and he said something that I'm like, now that ain't right. It sounded good. Now, if you were just kind of great, if you were just kind of not really paying attention to what he said, you would have thought, oh, that's a good thought. But if you really listen to what he says, no, 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 that, that's all. That's all. His whole point was, once you're saved, you're always saved. That you don't you don't have to, if you work, that means that if you if 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 you if you were saved by works, that means that your works could take you out of it. So nothing that you could do doesn't even matter. You can live the way you want to, and you always, that, that, well, hold up now. We're just talking about holiness. You have to pursue it. That doesn't sound like that's a get-out-of-jail-free card. That sounds like I got to put some work on my end to say, not work, but that means I have to put some effort or some pursuit on my end that says I need to pursue holiness because I want to continue to be in right standing with God. It says, if, let me go back to that verse again. At the end of it, anyone who continues to live in him will not sin. But anyone who keeps on sinning does not know him or understand who he is. You can't keep on sinning. All paths don't lead to God. It's not once saved, always saved. You got to be careful who you open up yourself to. Be careful. Don't resist the leading to God in him pointing out the attitudes, our hearts, and emotions that need to change. Because God will point those things out if you're open to him in his presence. He'll begin to point out things in your heart that you need to change. But you have to be open to say, God, I accept that. I see that. And I'm, even if you don't, you just say, God, you pointed it out. I might not see it, but I surrender it to you. I don't see that attitude, but I, I, it might be there, but I'm just going to surrender it to you. Proverbs chapter 23, verse 26, it says, O son, give me your heart. Make your eyes take delight in following my ways. O son, give me your heart. May your eyes take delight in following my ways. Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23, it says, Guard your heart above all else, for it determines the course of your life. Guard your heart. Don't open up your heart. Guard your heart. You have to be very careful who you allow into your heart when it comes to relationships, when it comes to people speaking into your life. I just don't allow anybody just to speak into my life because people will tell you all types of crazy stuff. And they think it sounds good because they want to be deep. I don't need you to be deep. I need, what does the word say? And more importantly, the things that you're telling me, do you live that and does your lifestyle back what you're saying? Because, you know, people can tell you stuff, but they don't even live it themselves. Oh, yeah, you just need to stand on the word. Are you standing on the word? I'm just standing on the word of God. I'm just trusting and believing. Do you really trust and believe? 
Because people would throw the Christian jargon out there all the time. As you saying all that, you know you're not saved. You know you're not pursuing the Lord, but it's the right thing to say. Holiness is a pursuit. You have to pursue it. It's not just a thing that you say, oh, I'm holy. No, you're not. You have to pursue it. And you need people in your life that you could be accountable to and that you could be open with that can help you along the way. And also, like I mentioned before, when you open up and you confess things that you're dealing with, it brings healing to whatever it er that area is in your life. James chapter 5, verse 16, it says, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be what? Healed. Confess your sins. It didn't say confess your sins to God. In this verse, it says confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. We need a community of believers that we could be over with. That's why we have life groups. Life groups is a great way to be connected to community. Hey, that's why we form relationships with each other. Hang out with each other outside of church. Build relationships. Build community. Because you need people that you can be open and accountable with that say, you know what? I'm struggling. My thought life has been, been off. I've been having some crazy thoughts. What you think? Yeah, you, them some crazy thoughts. Let's pray. Them, them some crazy, yes, you're right. Them also crazy thoughts. But if you just keep it to yourself, how are you supposed to know? I, well, I think this is right. No, no, no. Let me just talk to someone that I know that I can trust, that has a lifestyle that I can, that's proven that the wisdom is true and that lifestyle is, is worth modeling. Now I know I can trust this person. Let me just bounce it off of them because I know they're going to tell me the truth whether I want to hear it or not. That's the type of people you need. You need to talk to the people that's going to tell you what you don't want to hear. Don't talk to the people that you know that they're going to tell you what you want to hear. Talk to the people that you know they're going to give me the word of God. And I don't want to hear it because it's going to make me mad. Well, that's, who the people, that's exactly who you need to talk to. That's, ex that's the great person to talk to, the one that's not going to sugarcoat it. Well, I, don't, I hadn't read that in the word. I don't know what the word. <laughs> you got to show me, this, show me this in the word where what you're thinking is, is correct. And if you show it to me, then, hey, we can agree and pray, but I don't think it's in there. I, I never read, I never heard Jesus talk about that before. And on the inside, you're like, I knew I should have talked to somebody else. Broadway. That's the Broadway. Narrow gate. It's narrow, y'all. I'm trying to help y'all today. It's narrow. It's the narrow way. So the first thing, a highway of holiness, we have to pursue. Pursue his presence, pursue his will. Second thing, we need people that we could be accountable with and open with. And the third and the final thing is this, and this is a huge one. This is a big one. We need established values. Established values. Proverbs chapter uh, 23, I'm sorry, Proverbs 22, verse 3. It says, a prudent person foresees danger and takes precautions. The simpleton goes blindly on and suffers the concept, I love that word simpleton. The simpleton goes blindly on and suffers the consequences. So if I'm a prudent person, then I, that means that I know danger is ahead and I'm going to take proper precautions. In today's society, to me, this verse speaks of this. I need values in my life that I know that that can safeguard my life. I need values in my life that's going to help safeguard my holiness. I see where the world is going. I need to take some precautions. 
And the way I take precautions, I need to solidify what are established values in my life that no matter what's going on in the world around me, I'm taking the proper precautions because I'm saying this is established values in my life and they don't change. But before we get to values, let's talk about preferences. Because some people have preferences that they think are values. But the thing about preferences is preferences can change. What is a preference? A preference is your favorite restaurant. That's not a value. That's just what you prefer. A preference is your favorite car. That's not a value. What car you like? I like trucks. Okay, well, cool. It could change over time. Uh, where you live, where you work, the type of clothes that let you like, all those things, the, your favorite movie, all those TV shows, all those, all those things are preferences. But so many people build their life on preferences and not values. And we need to establish what is a preference and what is a value. Because most of the time, it's sad to say, when I hear people talk, they have preferences that they think are values. And sadly, when people get married, they never talk about their values. They only talk about their preferences because they got married on a preference. Well, I prefer people like this. I like girls that have long hair, or I like girls that like short hair, or I like boys that have muscles, or I like men that, that are, are kind of rugged and tough, and, or, and it's like, that's a preference. All those things are preferences, they're not values. But what are the values that you can say, these are the things that these, the, these are pillars of my life, they don't change, because you need values if you're gonna pursue holiness. Because if not, guess what? You're gonna be on the Broadway, no established values, you're going to be on the broad way of preferences because the world is on the world, uh, is on the road of preferences. What do you want to be? You want to be a boy or a girl? I prefer to be a girl. But didn't God create you to be a boy? But that's what I prefer to be. Well, I, I prefer not to, to, to do this or that. Well, well, but, but, well, you lost me there. We need some values, not preferences, values. So we're going to talk about some values. Build your life on values. Values make it plain, and they leave no room for questioning gray areas or substitutions. So when there's a value in my life, there's no gray area. There's, it's no gray area. It's either this or that. Is, that is, it, is it this or that? If it's not, then no. I don't change my mind, and, and I don't care what the world says. They, 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 I'm not looking for the government to establish my values. The sad thing is so many people looking for the government to tell them, oh, I need to follow this politician because they're going to tell me right from wrong. No, they're not. They're looking out for their best interests. They just have a great way of speaking to you to make you think they care about you, but they care about their pockets. <laughs> so I'm not looking to the government to establish my values. I'm looking to the word of God. So where do, where, where do our values come from? They come from the word of God. And when I read the word of God, guess what? It don't matter what Mario thinks or feels. What does the word of God say? So I align my values to what the word says, not what I think or feel. Because most people, they align what they prefer, what they think or they feel. Well, this is how I feel about this. You go on social media, everybody want to talk about, well, this is what I think. I don't care what you think. What does the word of God say? Because that's the only thing that's going to matter. That's the only thing that matters. When you stand before God and he gives an account for your life, he's going to say, okay, Susie, now tell me, what did you really think about my word? What, what should I have changed in my word that you didn't agree with so much? Is he going to say that? No. Did you obey it or did you not? 
So if that's the case, then I'd better, I better establish my values based on the word if I'm trying to get into heaven. Because there ain't going to be no talk. Well, I just didn't understand why you were so harsh. How could you love people, but then you send them to hell if they don't follow you? That's what the word says. That's what I believe. So I established my values based on that. So there are five things, there are five values that we should establish and not be overlooked by preference. First one, we just talked about it, the word of God. That should be the first established value in your life right there. Because everything else outside of that don't mean the hill of beans. It's the word of God. God's word should be an established value. The Bible has the final say. My opinions, my thoughts, they don't matter. I have no further appeal. The word has the final say. So whatever the word says, I, so you just narrow-minded. Again, thank you. Because I'm on the narrow gate. I'm on the narrow way. I want to know what does the word of God say, not what you think. Because you're not going to be standing there with me before God. It's going to be me and him alone. I have to give an account for my life, just like you have to do for yours. And I'm going to establish my values through the word of God because I want to be pleasing to him. That's got to be the first thing. Established values got to be the word of God. Second established value you have to to understand. And all of these come from the word of God, by the way. So all these established values, these not my, let me think what I think established value. No, no. What does the word say? And all these established values, just so you know, they came from the word of God. The second thing is, is your gender. That's an established value. God created them male and female, humans and animals. He created them male and female. There's certain biological things, the way that God created it, to procreate that he made them male and female. God gave specific roles for each person that he birthed. I can't change it. I can only cultivate and grow in it. So if he made me a man and I feel like I, I don't want to be a man or I have other, t- then guess what? I need to discover God and find out, I know you intended me to be a man. Help me to be a man. I need to cultivate my relationship with you because despite of what I think or feel or what experiences I've had, I'm, I'm struggling with this, but I know you created me to be a man. Help me to be a man. Not let me prefer what I think I should be or, or who you, I think you should have made me. No, I, my establishment, you created me a male, I'm going to be a male. You created me to be a female, I'm going to be a female. Discover the plan that God has given you for your gender. He didn't make a mistake. Well, I just feel like God made a mistake when he created me. I should have been. No, he didn't. He didn't make a mistake. That's the enemy lying to you. Because that's what he did. He's the father of lies. And he's going to do everything he can to confuse you. All this that's going on in the world is that. It's confusion. People are confused because they don't value the word of God. If you value the word of God, it's very clear. There ain't no gray area. It ain't black or white. It's very clear. That's why I said all these established values come from the word. First one, established value, the word of God. Second is gender. Third is marriage. God created marriage to be between a man and a woman. That's what the word says. That's not my opinion. I align my opinion to what? To the word. So if God said that marriage is between a man and a woman, marriage is only appropriate or, or correct in his eyes through a man and a woman. It's covenant. That, that, means, that means even in God's covenant, he created sex, and it's a great thing, but he, he, he created it in the confines of what? Of marriage. 
So that means, I, oh, I love my girlfriend, so it's okay if we live together. It's, no, no, no. No, no, no. That's the, that's the Broadway. But we so, he, but she's going to leave me if I don't, if I don't, well, you better let her go. You better let them go. Because if they really loved you, they would wait. Because love is what? It's patient. It's kind. It's in the confines of the way that God created it to be. But when, if you even think about television now, it's common to see people live together that's not married. But early on in the 80s and 70s and all that, they, they, they didn't even imply that people lived together. Like, that was, like, taboo. Every show was about married families, husbands and wives. And then when in the late 80s, 90s come around, that's when it started to kind of broaden out. And now the world's taking on the views of what they see on television. That's why you can't allow the media and, and, and culture to dictate your values. What does the word of God say? If God says covenant is between man and a woman, then guess what? That's what it is. And anything out of the side of the confines of that is sin. Plain and simple. It's sin. Well, well, you don't know our situation. I don't know your situation, but I know what the word says. And he can help any situation if you use the word of God and the wisdom that it gives. And that, there was some, I mean, I won't get into all to that, but there are tough situations out there. But what, is, what does the word say? It's marriage between a man and a woman. And God builds covenant through families. He's the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. That's a generational God. He flows through covenant. But if you're not in a covenant relationship or in a covenant marriage, how could God flow through generation to generation? Eventually, at some point, it's going to stop. It's through covenant, y'all. It's through covenant. God blesses families generationally. God loves working with families that are in covenant with him. The fourth thing, what is a, another established value? It's church. Not, not neglecting the fellowship of believers. Church is how God brings families together for growth, community, and dominion. What does that mean? God has called the church to come together so we could take over the land. So we could go in and say, hey, we know there's people hurting in the world. He wants to use us to go out and make an impact in the world. But we can only do that if we come together. There has to be an established value on church. And I, and I know people watching online right now, and sometimes that's the only way that you can, you, can, you can participate. But we would love for you to come in a building and be a part of what's going on inside the building. Because there's such a unity. There's such a force. There's such a joy when you come together and you worship with other believers that you can't get watching at home. And like I said, I'm not trying to condemn anybody that's watching online. We thank everybody that watches online. And we know certain situations, that's the only way that you could do it. But if you have the ability to, we want to say, come in and worship with us together because there's a strength, there's a community, and that is not, uh, that you can't get outside of being in community and relationship with other believers. God wants us to be in this thing together. God wants families to go to church together. God doesn't just want well, I'm going to just drop my kids off, and then I'm going to go home and shop, or I'm going to go home and take a nap. No, or I'm going to go to church, but my kids don't come to church. No, God wants everybody to do it together. Because I'm telling you, there's such power and force when the whole family worships together. When the father on down to the kids. When you worship together, guess what? I'm telling you, God looks down, and he smiles, and he says, man, this is a beautiful thing 
to do, but it has to be a value. Some people put more values on sports. Well, we can't go to church on Sunday because we have sports going on. And there's nothing wrong with sports. I play sports my whole life. But it can't be a higher value than, than it is in the assembly of other believers than church. Place a value on attending church together as a family. It's a beautiful thing because the conversations that you can have with your kids about the Bible and about the things of God, it'll blow your mind when you have those conversations with them. What did y'all learn today in church? And you hear them talk and they share. You're like, oh, my goodness. How? And it's a beautiful thing that warms your heart when you hear your kids talk about the things of God. But they will never do that if you don't place a value on going to church. The fifth and final value that we see is serving. And it's that Jesus' whole ministry was serving others. All throughout his word, it was about serving. Love your neighbor as yourself. How do you do that? You serving. Because nobody serves you better than you. So he says, love your neighbor as you love yourself. If you gave a cup of water to the least of these, you've done it to me. What is that? That's serving. Serving should be an established value. What do we serve? First, in our homes. We serve each other in our homes. Kids serve your parents. Parents serve your kids, vice versa. We should serve each other first. It starts in our home where we're constantly looking for ways to serve each other. And you say, well, oh, I'm doing a bad job of that. That's okay. Today is a new day. You can turn it around. Today is a new day. There's, his mercies are new each and every day. You can, and, and, and all these things are there to help you draw closer to God because when you draw closer to God through serving, guess what? There's heart conversations that only God can do, that only God can have with you through serving. And also, there's only relationships that you would ever form only through serving. Because there are certain situations, you would never meet certain people if it wasn't for serving. And because you serve together, guess what? You've had, man, did you know, I just learned this about such and such. I didn't even know that. But why, how did you learn it? Through serving. It's just conversations and relationships begin to flow and develop through serving. So we serve at home. That's the first place. We serve in our local church. I'm telling you, the, everything that you do in the local church should be serving. Everything. It doesn't matter what position. Will I teach? Will you serving? What I'm doing right now is I'm serving. You said, well, you preaching. No, I'm, what I'm doing is I'm serving what God has to give me, a word that God has given me. I'm serving it to you guys as, as the Lord has given it to me. That's an act of service. When we give our tithes and offerings, guess what? That's an act of service. Everything that we do is, is centered around serving because what it does is it brings humility. That's the big thing. Why it should be an established value? Because serving brings humility. I never saw a proud person serve. A proud person wants to be served. Here's my bag here. Can you please go get my car? Pull my car around. Chop, chop, bellhop. Oh, uh, waiter, waiter, excuse me, excuse me. They don't even say excuse me. You, you over there, I need some more to drink. It's like, oh, why, why are you talking so harshly to people? Proud heart. I know you don't serve. <laughs> I can tell by your attitude. But serving does something to your heart. It softens your heart. It makes you humble because Jesus was the most humble person that ever lived. And what did he do his whole life? He served. He served us on the cross. He served us on the 
that takes the most humility is to serve. Because a proud person, they can't do it. My pride won't allow me to do it. Mm-mm, I, that's the, for, the, that's for the, the peasants. That's for the, the, the least of these, the, the, the servants. I have people that serve me. No, 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 that's the wrong attitude. We serve with our time. We serve with our talent. We serve with our resources. We resources. And serving, it matures and develops you. If you're not serving, you're not maturing and developing. You say, well, how can you say that, Pastor? Because I know the conversation that God has had in my heart through serving. And it's through those conversations that matured me and developed me. And if I wasn't serving, there's so many conversations I would have missed out on God that didn't mature me and wouldn't have developed me. And I've seen it across so many different people's lives. I can see the maturity and the development in them all because of this one thing, they start serving. Simple, they start serving. When you start serving, I'm telling you, it does something. You learn more about yourself. It opens up doors for you. It fosters heart conversations between you and the Holy Spirit. Jesus' entire ministry, I told you, is about serving. We have to place a high value on serving. And sometimes that's the last thing we think about is serving. I don't want, I need somebody to serve me. I need somebody to pamper me, to think about me. Yes, that's great. But at some point, it has to be reciprocated back and said, now I need to serve others. It does feel nice to be served and be appreciated. Everybody loves that, but that can't be the priority. The priority has to be whether somebody serves me or not, guess what? I'm going to serve. Did Jesus say, I'll serve you if you serve me? Follow me, and if you serve me, I will continue to serve you. That's not what he said. He said, no, I came to lay down my life as a ransom for all. What was he saying? I'm serving everybody. Whether you accept me or not, I'm here to serve. We should take on that same mantra. I'm here to serve. How can I serve you? Well, what would they do to your family members if you walked up to them and said, how can I serve you? You talking to me? Me? Jody, is that you? What happened to you? You almost died. Did something happen to you? Because I, I know you're not asking me to you asking me to serve. What you asking? What what? It'll change, it'll freak them out. If you've never done it before, because what is that? They're not expecting it. But serving also, it softens the heart of the people that you're serving. If you're having a tough relationship with people at your job, serve them. You like this person always causing trouble at my job. Um, they always speak it down on me. Serve them. Because eventually what's going to happen is they're going to realize this person is not against me. And it's going to break their heart because it's going to convict them of what they're doing. And it's going to change the way that they would look at you. Or either God's going to remove them out of the situation, one or the other. And it all works for your good. Serve them. So place a high value on established values. So how do we pursue the highway of holiness? First thing is this. We have to pursue. Pursue what? God's presence. Pursue his will. Second thing, we have to place a high value on accountability and openness. God, I'm, I'm accountable. I'm open to certain people. And the third thing is established values. Now, this is a little homework for you guys. If married couples or if you have kids, go home at some point either today or throughout the week and just sit down, especially husband and wives. This is a good exercise for you. 
right? What are your established values? Do y'all have the same values? Because sadly, some married couples don't have the same values. Some values this, some value that. And really, it's not a value, it's a preference. And you have to come together and say, what as a family, what are our values as a family that we, we live by these? And these do not change. That's a little homework assignment. And it's a fun exercise, too, because you'll begin to have conversations and you realize, huh, I never thought of it about, I never thought of that. But that is a good value that we should have as a family. And come together and go over those values and discuss it with your children as well. So your kids are like, hey, this is what we, in this household, this is what we do. This is what we don't do. And establish those values, especially in small children. It, 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 and the thing is, is this. When they grow up in the things of, of God, when they get older and you feel like they're slipping away, at some point, guess what? They will come back. They come back to it. How do you know? Because I did. I went away for a while, but guess what? When things got difficult, I knew where to turn. All because of the things that I learned at a young age. It, it's like it was like, I don't want to say deja vu, but it all came back to me. I know what I need to do. Immediately, I knew what to do. I need to get right with God. You establish those things at a young age, I'm telling you, no matter what they walk through, at some point, they'll come back to it. Because the word of God, it never fails. It never fails. Amen? Holiness. Got to pursue holiness, y'all. It's, it's the narrow gate. It's not broad. So the people start calling Christians narrow-minded, say, thank you for the heads up. Thank you. Thank you for the compliment. Because it's a broad way. And there are only a few We'll find it. I want to be part of the few. I don't know about you. But the crazy thing about the few is there's millions and millions of people in heaven that found it. You could also say it's the same thing about the people that didn't find it. How many more didn't find it? Only a few find it. I want to be a part of that few. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, that this would just ignite a passion and a hunger inside of us to pursue holiness, Lord God. This is not a condemning message or a, a, a message to bring shame or guilt or condemnation. This is a wake-up call to say, Lord, we need to pursue holiness. I need to pursue holiness in a greater way. Lord, I just thank you right now that, that the word has been clear today, that it's fall on good ground, Lord, and that we would have conversations with our family members, with our spouses, with our children, with our family, our loved ones, Lord God, that we would have these conversations about values, Lord God, that will propel us and carry us for the rest of our walk with you, that we have people that we could be accountable and open to, Lord God, that we will begin to pursue your will and your presence, Lord God, in a greater, greater way. And as we pursue you, that you will speak clearly to our hearts. And I thank you that you give us the faith to be obedient to what you're speaking to us right now. And I thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. You can keep your head bowed and your eyes closed. I want to give one invitation, and that's for anyone that wants to come in right relationship with the Lord. Now, we've been talking about holiness, and it says, if anyone continues to live in him, he will not sin. But anyone who keeps on sinning does not know him or understand who he is. You know, sin is pleasurable for a season. But at some point, it ends in death. At some point, it stops being fun. 
And it's at that point you need a savior. You need someone to rescue you out of the cesspool of sin, out of the bondage of sin. And that person is Jesus. He's the only one. He's the only one qualified. He's the only one worthy to remove the stain of sin, to remove the guilt, to remove the condemnation that you feel. He's the only one worthy. And the great thing is all you have to do is just say, God, I need you. Jesus, I need you. Jesus, I repent. Jesus, I surrender. And in an instant, the heavy burden, the guilt, the shame, the condemnation, the guilt, all of it, it's removed in a moment. All you have to do is receive it by faith. So I just want to give you, if you're watching online or you're in the room, I just want to give you an open invitation just to receive Jesus and come to right relationship with him. I feel like the word is clear. I don't have to persuade you or twist your arm. You know if you're in right standing with, the God, with God or not. And if you're not, I want to give you that invitation to make it right with him today. So with no one looking around, this is just between you and God. Just lift your hand if you want to come in right relationship with him. If there's anyone who wants to come in right relationship with him. Amen. I'm going to ask everyone just to place their hand over their heart and just repeat this after me and say, Holy Spirit, thank you for sending you, for saving me. I repent of my sin and I lay it down right now. Thank you for making me whole. And I pray that you give me the strength to pursue you on the highway of holiness. I thank you for this moment of salvation. I receive it by faith. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Come on, y'all give the Lord a hand clap of praise this morning. Amen. And if you prayed that prayer, if you're in the room with us, in the seat back in front of you, there's a card that says, let's connect. On the back, it says, I made a decision. You can fill that out. Drop it in the offering bucket. We would love to connect with you. And if you're watching online, drop a comment in the comment section. Let us know that you made that decision. And we would love to reach out to you as well. Amen. That was week five, holiness, the pursuit of holiness, the highway of holiness. Man, that was such a great word. I'm, man, I feel challenged myself just to continue to pursue holiness in a greater way, and I hope you do as well. But before we dismiss with you guys online, we want to give you an opportunity to give. Uh, there's a couple ways that you could do that. You could go on our app, download the app. You can give on the app. You can go to our website, newlifemobile.org, or you can mail in a check a money order, but we do want to pray for that, and then you guys are dismissed online. Lord, we thank you for everything that's coming in today, Lord God, the tithe, the offerings that's coming in. I thank you, Lord God, for the sacrificial giving, the generosity of your people. I pray that you bless them. I pray that you stretch, Lord God, what's coming in, and we can use it, Lord God, to make a global impact in the kingdom of God. I thank you for blessing over their families, over their finances, over their health, over every area of their life, that the blessing of Abraham fall on them in Jesus name. Amen. Amen. Well, we love you guys. Thank you so much for tuning in with us on week five of Foundations. We'd love to invite you out this Wednesday, 630 for prayer. I know usually we would have on the first Wednesday, we would have our life group. We're going to have prayer this Wednesday at 630. So be in the building. We'd love to see you there, but also come worship with us next Sunday at 10 a.m. We'd love to see your face. Come worship with us. We have a great time together, but until then, have a great, great week. We love you guys. See you next week.